All right, hey, happy summer, everybody. Great to see you guys. Yeah, welcome all our campuses. We're glad you're with us for our new summer series, Comparison Trap. And it's kind of the perfect series to start the summer because I don't know about you, but people um, in my little kind of orbit of things are like making all their vacation plans. In fact, uh, I walked into the kitchen at work and people were having coffee and one guy was like, yeah, I'm going to, uh, we're going down to the, the shore for a week. And I said, oh, whereabouts? Said, well, Wildwood. And then somebody else said, oh, well, we're going to LBI for two weeks. Uh, and then uh, somebody else said, oh, you guys, Jersey, sure. Guys, we're renting a house, Airbnb, in the Outer Banks. Uh, you guys should really try that out. For the whole month, we're actually doing it. And then literally someone walks through and goes, we're taking a cruise to Italy. And I am like, who pays these people? I'm like looking all around, like it's incredible, right? It was like this arms race of vacation planning, like who's going where, how long are you going for? And suddenly your weekend, you know, your staycation at grandma's doesn't sound so good when you start comparing with other people. Uh, but let's face it, not a day goes by that you and I are not kind of, you know, looking side to side or scrolling up and down to compare how we measure up to kind of our peer group. Our generation suffers from OCD. You know what that stands for? Obsessive comparison disorder. And uh, from early on, we're kind of trained. We're used to kind of looking at what's everyone else doing and comparing how are we doing. And it's a trap. It really is. Comparison trap. Because the focus is always on, you know, er, you know, he's smarter, she's thinner, he's faster, they're better. And the constant comparison can really hijack your life if you let it, uh, especially if you are on social media. Facebook and Instagram kind of pour kerosene on the fire because suddenly like you're aware of what everyone else is doing, right? What trips they're going on. Oh, look at the concert she's at. Or, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, going to that party or what schools they got into. And you can find yourself, I don't know if you ever do this, where you're scrolling and you're kind of subtly benchmarking how you're doing against their, you know, look at their Pinterest-worthy patio. Ours doesn't look like that. Uh, you know, or their organic meal, hashtag clean eating, you know, or how their body looks in a swimsuit compared to yours. And have you noticed, you always come up just a little bit short, right? Uh, truth is, OCD is kind of hijacking happiness in our generation. In fact, a recent study uh, confirmed what I think we all suspected. Look at this headline. Study finds Facebook makes you unhappy, and makes jealous people particularly sad. Are you shocked by this? Uh, University of Copenhagen did a study with 1,000 Facebook users, and they had half of the group uh, take a break for seven days, while the other people just kept posting and perusing posts online. And those who took that seven-day break were found to be more satisfied, happier, and content with life, with higher levels of mental health, peace, and well-being, while those who kept using Facebook reported higher inflated levels of sadness, anxiety, and depression. They actually uh, suffered with what researchers are calling Facebook envy, the tendency to become jealous and even resentful of your friends' you know, boasts and posts online. It creates this like negative loop of social comparison. You're like, oh, look, you know, another selfie of her with her boyfriend. <laughs> Hashtag makes me puke uh, kind of thing, right? Now, if that's for adults, imagine being a middle schooler with Instagram, okay? Another study found the more time that teenagers spend on social media, the more likely they are to uh, struggle with anxiety, depression, self-identity, and body image issues. It is a trap, okay? There's no wonder we all feel, you know, exhausted and discontent and lonely because comparing steals your joy. It really does. It sucks the energy out of it because your friends now they become your audience, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down, how am I doing? It is a trap. Uh, but there's a way out, and that's what we're going to talk about in this series for the next couple weeks. 
Now, I understand a few of you are probably like, well, you know, Tim, I, I don't struggle with this. You know, maybe kids do. I'm an adult. You know, I'm very confident. It's not about your age. It's just human nature. Every one of us uh, just kind of subconsciously are always taking measurements uh, with our peer group. You know, am I measuring up? Am I making progress? How am I doing? Am I okay? Am I better? We, uh, basically, we all want a bigger-er attached to the adjectives that we describe ourselves with. Uh, that's because we live in the land of er. That's what Andy Stanley calls. I want to give him credit because he's a better preacher than me. And uh, the idea is this. Everybody here wants a little more er in their life. So whatever adjectives are valuable to you, we want to be rich-er. Uh, she wants to be skinny-er, uh, smart-er, pretty-er, hip-er, talented-er. I don't even know if that's a word. Uh, I, I want more-er than you because if I've had a little bit more-er, I'd feel better about me, right? Because I like you and all, but I just would feel better if like after coffee or lunch, you know, I went home and said, well, you know, she's nice, but I'm nice-er, right? Or he's good at what he does, but you know, I'm good-er. Whatever it is that you have, I want a little bit more-er, <laughs> And this is where it starts getting twisted because you start dating and then you want your boyfriend or your girlfriend to have a little bit more er, right? I, I wish he was richer or you know, skinnier or, or more handsome or whatever. And it cr starts creating these unrealistic expectations because then you get married and watch, watch this. You want more er from your spouse, right? <laughs> We're smarter at that point. So we kind of spin a little, but we say, well, I, I really just want my, my husband or wife to be, you know, reach their full potential, and so you start erring them. Honey, you need to be, you know, work harder at work or earn a little more around the house, you know, or clean her house, whatever. And of course, it's not even about them, right? It's about what people think about you and how you compare to their ideals. And if you have kids, this is how you really screw up the kids, okay? Because then you just take a look at like what everyone else's kids are doing, where they're going to school, did you hear what level, you know, she's reading at or how advanced he is? Yeah, she skipped the grade or he's playing travel sports. And so you start erring your kids, right? You should practice harder. Uh, you should be faster. You should be smarter. You should do this. You should do that. And you start shooting all over your kids, right? Now, I, I get this, right? It, it, you rationalize it. You say, well, I'm just, you know, I want them to reach their full potential. No, no. You're comparing your kids, someone else's kids, and comparing your parenting skills to other parents. And this is where it gets really sick. I can tell you guys, I trust you. Um, most of us won't admit this. You know how you have like a friend or some family that you know, and like everything is perfect. You know, it's like everything they touch turns to gold. It's a wrinkle-free life. Don't you secretly love it when then they mess up? I know, you know, I know, that's just me. I'm just terrible, right? But look, you ever, you know, you ever have that moment where like everything is always, always good, good for them and then you hear like, you know, their kid doesn't get into the school they want to or didn't get the scholarship and you secretly kind of like, yay, you know, right? Like you're Christians, you can't do that. You, you know, you got to say, oh, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, kind of, right? That's just sick, isn't it? Like that is just like evil. If you don't think there's sin in the world, I want you to just pay attention to those secret feelings of celebration when somebody that you envy fails and your heart kind of goes secretly, yay. That's because you and I live in the land of Ur. Now, to keep this going, there's a few of you here who are not content with Ur. You want est, okay? You don't, you don't, I don't want to be richer. I want to be rich est, okay? I want to be smart est. Fit est, funny est, cool est, retweeted est, okay? 
I want to category all myself. So if you, that's not me. I'm just saying maybe one of you. You know, I want to category all myself. And again, we push back. Well, Tim, we, of course, what are you saying? You're not trying to do your best, you know? What about hard work and drive and all that? We're going to talk about that. But I'm just asking, is it possible that maybe there's just a little bit of OCD in you and me where we just constantly measure ourselves against the people around us to answer the question, am I okay? Maybe you don't hate others who are um, er or est because you're like, well, it's not their fault. They're richer than me or she's prettier or he's smarter or, you know, kids go to schools we'll never go to. Maybe you're like, that's my fault. You've gone beyond not liking other people. You don't like you. And the reason you don't like you is because you will never be as blank as them, right? You're just like, I'll never measure up. I just know I'll never be that happily married. We will never have that kind of financial freedom. But we will ne- I will never look like that, live like that. We will n- our kids will probably not go to those kinds of schools. And you look in the mirror and boom, you see? The trap is sprung, the comparison trap. So here's our big idea for today. I, w- I want you to keep this in mind for the rest of the series. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This would be so helpful if you like jotted this in your phone or your Bible, put it on the mirror. And every time you found yourself tempted to say, how am I doing you know, compared to them, uh, this statement could be a game changer. What's the issue with comparison? It's this. Whenever I compare, I sin. Can you say that with me? Whenever I compare, I sin. I actually break fellowship with God. I break relationship with those I love. I even break fellowship with with myself because there's no win in comparison. It's not win-win. It's a lose-lose situation. There's never a finish line. There's no sense of satisfaction, only envy and jealousy and hate. In fact, comparison is so dangerous, it can hijack your life. I mean, some of you know this, right? I mean, if you're honest, super honest, you may be like, I got debt because of this. I have purchased things, I've eaten things, I've worn things, I've traveled places, done expensive things. And the only reason I really did those things is because I saw other people doing that stuff. Now I got a mountain of debt because of it. For some of you, this, this is why you're driving your spouse crazy. <laughs> or you're driving your kids crazy. Because you're, you're pushing them and pushing them. I wish they were er, and they feel that pressure. Or you have relatives you don't like. You're like, you're gonna see them in a barbecue. I hope I don't see them. The reason is because, right, you're jealous because you're like, I will never look like that. I'll never drive that. I'll never live like that. I'll never have that. I'll never be that happy. You know, maybe you're here and you're like, you know, my first marriage wasn't successful. And, you know, I look at them and they're still in love after all these years. It makes me sick, you know. And you find yourself secretly rejoicing over their little failures, even though, you know, it's sort of like evil, right? Well, the, the Bible says it's actually toxic, toxic to your soul. In fact, listen to this verse from Proverbs. It says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy, say this together, church, envy rots the bones. Rots the bones. Sounds like like a Metallica album, right? In other words, constant comparison actually poisons the very core of your being. So here's the question we're going to wrestle with next couple weeks. What do we do about this? What do we do with the fact that you and I, like it or not, we live in the land of Ur? And that our heart's natural default is to measure ourselves against others. And our culture just says that's normal. Where, where do you find balance? You know, the balance between working hard and doing your best and achieving, but actually avoiding falling into the comparison trap where you're constantly frustrated and discontent. Well, here's the amazing thing. This is, um, this is not a modern problem. 
This is not a series about, you know, social media. This, this proverb, this is not unique to the 21st century. You know when this was written, Proverbs? 3,000 years ago by a guy by the name of Solomon. And he was a king, King Solomon. He's actually king of Israel. But in a lot of ways, Solomon was the king of Ur. <laughs> According to the Bible, Solomon was smart Ur, rich Ur, wiser than any other person in human history. In fact, Solomon didn't just have Ur, Solomon had Est. He was the richest, wisest man to ever live. First Kings 4 says this, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. So he's the richest, smartest man in ancient history. He wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. Kings and queens from all over the world would come to sit and listen to Solomon because of his wisdom. And so what did he do 3,000 years ago? He used it to teach you and me how to escape the comparison trap in the 21st century. He did this by writing a book called Ecclesiastes. It's located in the uh, Old Testament. So this is before the time of Jesus. This is a great book, by the way, for you to read. If you're like a cynic or you're a skeptic, because it's super practical wisdom about the world. And so Solomon, the wisest man, wealthiest guy in the world, he basically looks at his world and he sees our habit of always comparing ourselves to each other. And in Ecclesiastes 4, here's what he writes. He writes these words. He says, I saw that all toil, how much toil? All toil and all achievement. How much? All achievement. Spring from one place. One person's what? Envy of another. In other words, Solomon's like, you know, I've, I've been watching you guys. I'm a student of, of human behavior. And I've noticed something. What I've noticed is that for the most part, the single thing that just drives everybody on earth is competition and comparison. The thing that makes people work hard is that they're always looking over their shoulder, right and left and scrolling up and down, trying to figure out what's everybody else, where, where's everybody else shopping? What's everybody else earning? What is everybody else doing? What, where are they wearing? What, what are they making? What are they driving? How are they promoting? And all that toil and all that work springs from one person's envy of another. Now, I read this verse and I thought, man, isn't it too bad the Bible's outdated, isn't relevant anymore, you know? <laughs> I mean, come on, this has like been going on for 3,000 years. Solomon saw people measuring their worth compared to what everyone else is doing. He says, I see you guys, and you're always like, am I okay? Is my girlfriend okay? Is my, my kids okay? Is my bank account okay? Is my business okay? And people are working harder and harder. And he's like, this is just human nature. And all that effort comes from one person's envy of another. And here's what he concluded. This is so cool. He says, this too is meaningless. A chasing of what? Chasing after the wind. What does that mean, chasing after the wind, right? Like, Tim, I don't get it. Like, you can't catch the wind. Exactly. Ding, 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 light bulb. There's no finish line. <laughs> Solomon says, all this looking left and right and scrolling up and down, you never catch the wind. You never have enough dollars. You never have enough claps. You never have enough attaboys. You never have enough likes and followers and views. It never ends. Solomon's like, I'm the smartest man in the world. Let me tell you something. You will never have a sense of deep soul satisfaction in any piece, because there's never a finish line. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I don't like this. Because if you're a high achiever, you're an A-type person, you're like, well, wait a minute, Tim. Are you saying we're not supposed to do our best or work hard? I mean, what are you saying? We're just supposed to sit there and fold my hands and do nothing? Solomon already knows what you're thinking. He's the wisest man in the world. Look what he says next. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. 
In other words, don't you dare think for a minute, I'm saying not be ambitious or work hard. I'm King Solomon. Have you seen my temple? I'm Solomon. Have you seen my gardens? I'm Solomon. I have 300 wives. Hashtag relationship goals, okay? That's like, come on, I'm a busy guy. But I guarantee you, I'm richer, I'm smarter, I'm busier than you. And you know what? I'm not saying don't be the best you can. I'm not saying sit in your hands and do nothing. Fools do nothing. You'll waste your God-given potential. So what are you saying? Look at the next verse. This is powerful. If you ever want to memorize a verse, this is a great one because it's the way out of that comparison trap. Better, Solomon says, is what? One handful with tranquility, peace. Then two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And this is written in Hebrew. The Hebrew imagery here is very, very, very rich. Basically, he's saying this. I have found it is better to have one hand open, the implication being your father in heaven can put into it whatever he wants and take out of it whatever he wants. It's better to have one hand open to God and be content than to have what? Two fists closed and clenched and hanging on to everything that you can get. Uh, let me show you this. Everybody take one hand, just stick it out. Open your hand, stick it out like this. Open hand, all right? Solomon says, better that you have one hand open with tranquility. In other words, better you have one hand open and have peace with what God's given you than to have two of your hands clenched, clinging to everything you can get. Go ahead and make a fist, clench. Like, you know what clenches? Like, I mean, like, like squeeze until now your forearms are shaking. Look at my forearms shaking. Start shaking, all right, okay? Do it for five seconds. Go ahead, five, squeeze, four, squeeze. It's getting harder, three, squeeze, two, one, squeeze. Now, okay, open your hands super slowly. Ah, <laughs> right? Feels bad. Solomon's like, if you live like this, you will never have any peace. If you live like this, you will spend your life chasing the wind, grasping all you can get. And there's always something more, a third fist you're going to want to grab, and that will never be enough. You will never have any tranquility in your heart. Again, look at this verse. I want to read this out loud. Powerful. It says, better is one handful, say it together, with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, if you let that scriptural truth soak into your soul, here's what you'll discover. Every time you're tempted to begin reaching for more, in other words, I'm, I'm going I'm to ignore my family because there's more work to do at the office. Or I'm going to compare my daughter because look at what their kids do, is doing. Or I'm going to start pushing my son because I heard what he's doing. Or I'm going to bring that up with my spouse again and you realize it's not her issue, it's my issue. <laughs> and you pause and you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what am I doing here? Every time I compare, I sin. There's no life here. There's no peace. There's no satisfaction. I'm breaking relationship with God, with those I love. I'm chasing the wind. This is what the wisest, smartest, richest man in the history of the world said. That's how you escape the comparison trap. He says, you stop looking left and right or scrolling up and down. And instead, you open your hand and be thankful for what God has put in it and then receive, watch, his greatest gift in life called contentment. Can you say that? Contentment. It's the spiritual antidote to obsessive comparison disorder. What is contentment? It is this deep-seated, God-given sense of enough. That, that the love of your Father in heaven is enough. That Christ is enough. Your Savior is enough. That what you have is enough. 
that with Christ you are rich enough, strong enough, smart enough, worthy enough. If you're in Christ, enough is enough. And everything I have right now is all that I actually need and I can be at peace. I don't have to prove my worth to anyone. If the one who was richer became poorer for my sake, I have all things. What, what won't my loving, generous, heavenly father put in my hand if I keep it open and trust him like Jesus did? What, what, what won't he do? Contentment. Now, we're going to talk about this more next week. The New Testament has tons to say about contentment. But I want to finish Ecclesiastes because Solomon gives a striking image. Last one here in verse 7. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, which in his world meant you, you had nobody to leave anything to. Uh, women couldn't inherit property. This is 3,000 years ago. It's very, very inequitable culture. And so Solomon says, hey, there's no, no one in my life to leave anything to. He's all alone. And yet watch this. There was no end to his toil. And yet his eyes were what? Not content with his wealth. So basically Solomon says, I, uh, I know a guy and I've been watching him. And this guy works and works and works and works and works 24, 7, 365. There is no end to his work. And yet his eyes, what, were not content with what he had. In other words, there was always, there's always more to do. There's more money to make. There's another deal to close, another project to work on. In the midst, he says, of all this toil and effort, never being content, this guy asks a very important question. Look at this question. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? There was guys like, he hits the pause button. He's like, why am I doing all this? You ever have that happen? Like, like, I don't even enjoy this. You ever have that happen? Like sitting at a restaurant and you're like, why, why am I taking pictures of my food right now? I, I don't even eat it and enjoy it. I just take photos of it now, you know? Why can't I actually stop and even enjoy what I've spent my entire life trying to get. He says, what's driving me? Who am I doing this for? And Solomon says, good question. This is the question. And he sums it up this way. This too is meaningless, a miserable business. I love that phrase, a miserable business. Say miserable, miserable. It's crazy, right? Solomon's like, as long as you're trying to have two handfuls and you're always grasping for a third, it doesn't matter what's in your hand. It doesn't matter what you achieve. It doesn't matter how good your kids are. It doesn't matter how good looking your boyfriend is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter as long as you're like this. It's a miserable business and you will never enjoy life the way your father in heaven designed you to. Because whenever you sit, I, I compare, I sin and there's no end. It's futile, chasing after the wind. Just ask Asina O'Neill. Uh, she made headlines last year. She's a 19-year-old Australian teenager she became a social media star on Instagram. As a teenager, she started when she was about 12. She racked up a half million followers on Instagram with all of her, you know, blonder, thinner, hotter, you know, picture-perfect posts. And she actually turned it into a business because she had so many followers. She had companies send her clothes. And so if she wore like a certain top and took a selfie, they'd pay her $2,000 a post. Kind of crazy, right? So most people would be like, whoa, living the dream, right? Well, behind the curtain became a nightmare. Last year, Asina made uh, global headlines when she actually quit social media because she said it made her life so miserable because it became about projecting this picture-perfect image that wasn't close to reality. Check out this ABC News Nightline report about somebody who fell for but ultimately escaped 
the comparison trap. We get a rare glimpse behind the scenes of a beautiful life. The social media darling coming clean about the painful toll it takes just to try to keep up appearances. What really goes into those envy-inducing photos? And why are some now questioning her motives? I quit social media for my 12-year-old self. Asina O'Neill's 19-year-old self seemed picture-perfect on Instagram. More than a half million followers, a glamorous, cool teenager, seemingly living the dream, making a career off social media. But two days ago, this shocking confession on YouTube. I was miserable. I had it all and I was miserable because when you let yourself be defined by numbers, you let yourself be defined by something that is not pure, that is not real, and that is not love. She said it would be her last YouTube post and that she'd shut it all down. Taking myself off social media is a wake-up call to anyone and everyone who follows me. She deleted most of the thousands of photos on her wildly popular Instagram account. And the few she left up? she changed their captions to reveal what she says really was going on. Not real life. I didn't pay for the dress, took countless photos trying to look hot for Instagram. And she writes, not real life, took over a hundred in similar poses trying to make my stomach look good. And there is nothing zen about trying to look zen, taking a photo of you trying to be zen and proving you're zen on Instagram. Asina pulling the curtain back on what she says is the painful cost of trying to look flawless online. Everything I did was for views, for likes, for followers. But her takedown of social media was catapulting her star even higher, an outpouring of support online from all over the world, including celebrities like actress Sophia Bush, who posted, My girlfriends and I spent the better part of yesterday discussing Asina O'Neill's awesome serving of social truth. Check this out. The support prompting her to make one more video post. I just feel so grateful that, that this is being spread, that this is actually getting out there. Asina told us via Skype from her native Australia that she never intended to create a big fuss. What I'm saying isn't revolutionary, but I just think it's a discussion worth having with how much value we put into just putting photos of ourselves online. And I think... You know, as I said, I spent five years wishing to be this perfect person online and I spent three years every day working really hard at it. And I think if people understood just the amount of effort and time that goes into perfecting your life like that and being that consistent, then I think that wouldn't be so aspirational. I think, um, I think the reality is quite, is quite sad. Pretty revealing, right? I mean, just, just the before and after and the courage it took to actually for her to, to wash off the makeup and take off the, the filter and stop comparing and competing and just be content with who she is. I mean, good, good on her. I'm like, I think we all could use a little social media detox now and then, you know, maybe kind of step away from the screen for a little bit here and open our, our heart and our hand to contentment. By the way, I will mention this about social media, that this topic was fascinating for me to research. Um, not only does science um, now prove that you know, Facebook makes people unhappy the more time you spend on it, but CNN reported that Instagram is now officially the worst social media app for young people's mental health. Uh, according to a study of 1,500 young adults that's between ages of 14 and 24, Instagram has the most devastating impact on young adults' mental health. It actually elevates levels of anxiety, depression, self-identity, and body image issues because 
young women co constantly comparing themselves to these kind of curated and photoshopped and filtered versions of hyper-reality. Later in that interview, Asina talked about how this one photo of her with a flat stomach on a beach, she didn't eat for 36 hours so she could get that picture and post it to her followers. See, it, it generates these overwhelming feelings of inadequacy, and it's so ironic, right? I mean, social media, the promise is that it's going to connect people, but it actually is so isolating, it often leaves people more lonely and disconnected than ever. Now, parents, caution. Don't say, this is so true. Give me your phone, kids. Come on, give me your phone. First off, they're never going to come back to church, okay? Don't blame it on the technology, okay? This is not a technology problem. This is a heart problem, yeah? Every human heart is hardwired to compare. It's just when you add social media to the mix, it turns toxic. Like, you understand, right? When you and I go on Facebook or Instagram, we're looking at other people's highlight reels, right? People post their highlights, right? They don't post the lowlights, they take a picture of their perfect vegan meal, right? You know, not eating, you know, hot pockets, right? They don't, they take a picture of the setting sun, you know, not the rain, four days of rain and vacation, the waves gently lapping my manicured toes, right? Nobody's like, man, my hemorrhoids are acting up today. I'll just kind of, you can post it, you ain't getting followers, right? Nobody's like, just got my period, my face is breaking out, selfie, I kind of, right? No, no husband, you know, posts, uh, you know, just had a fight with wifey, uh, punch the wall, hashtag rage monster, right? Nobody posts real life. We, we post our reel of highlights, uh, a, a Pinterest perfect parody of real life, all designed to evoke one thing, envy. So if that's you, and I know it would, nobody in this room relates, if that's you online, okay, let me just encourage you. Maybe, maybe you put the screen down and back away, <laughs> for a week this summer and engage with real people in real life and do something even more radical. Imagine reading a book, okay? I actually have one that I want to recommend to you in this area for your beach reading this summer. It's a, it's a great book with a fun title. The title is, I'm happy for you, sort of, not really. Finding contentment in a culture of comparison. It's written by Kay Weisma. She's a uh, follower of Christ, very funny, super honest, very good book to read on the beach. Basically, it's full of very relatable uh, stories and strategies that you can take to step away from comparison living and really rediscover the freedom and the authenticity and the joy that God designed you for. So if that's you, turn off the screen, pick up a book. Let's hit this head thing head on. For next couple of weeks, you and I are going to answer this question. What would happen to our lives and our, our families if we learned to do this? to be open-handed with tranquility? What if we learn to be content with who God made us to be? What if we learn to catch ourselves every time we start to do this and this with our families and our kids and our academic pursuits? What if we learn to live like this at home? <laughs> what if we learn to live like this at work before we got two handfuls and grasped for a third? What if we learn to live like this with God and actually received his gift that with Christ, Christ is enough, and therefore I'm enough. Enough is enough. Amen? See, all of us are, we're looking to somebody as a mirror. We all have a need for somebody to tell us how we're doing and answer this question. Who's my reference point to tell me I'm okay, that I'm lovable, that I'm worthy, that I'm accepted? Wh whose approval are you looking for? Is it your friends, your family, 
For some people, it's their father. They need to hear their dad say those words. Is it your boss, your business, how you look, or how well your kids or spouse are performing? Who is your reference point to tell you you're okay? Who's your mirror? Solomon says, man, if you, if you look right, you look left, you scroll up and down, you will never be okay. You will never feel adequate and satisfied with what you achieve, what your family achieves, your kids, or what he looks like, or what you drive, or what she earns. Solomon's like, I'm the king of Ur. I am smarter. I am richer. I have been there. I've done that. I'm just telling you, it's chasing after the wind. So next week, you come back because we're going to answer this question. Who or what should our mirror be to tell us we're okay? Now, before I let you out, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a couple of annoying questions. These are going to make you mad. These are make you mad questions, all right? I just want to stir you up so you're energized to come back. Uh, these, these, are, these are like, you know, man, I wish he hadn't said those questions about my heart, okay? Because if you're living in the land of Ur, you relate to any of this stuff. I want you to be honest. I printed these questions in your program. I want you to talk about this over lunch, okay? With your family, whoever. First question is this. Does what others have keep you from enjoying what you have? Be honest about that. Have you ever walked into your neighbor's house and like you have eight and a half foot ceilings, but they have 10 and a half foot ceilings. And now you're like, I hate my house. You know, you like walk back into your house and you're like ducking. It's so low now, you know, like you appreciated it or like you discovered they have four or five bedrooms and you have two. And now I don't really like this. What others have keep you from enjoying what you have. Or is that just me? Okay. Second annoying question. Are you broke from trying to keep up with so-and-so? Is maybe that part of your financial issue? We talked about this in the last series, right? Debt. And I understand like there's all these factors, like maybe you lost your job or the economy downturn, and that may be true, but is it possible that at the root of this, maybe behind your financial issues is a heart issue? A heart that over the years has fallen for this trap of if I just go here, or if I just wear that, or if I just drive that, then I'll be happy. Is it possible that's part of why you're broke trying to keep up with fill in the blank? I told you, this is going to make you mad questions. Ugliest one. This is the one I hate the most. Ready? Be honest. Who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail? No, don't say their name out loud. Don't, don't point at them, okay? Uh, I, mean, I hate that. It's an ugly question, right? Like, because everybody has somebody at their work or a relative or a family or a friend, like everything they touch seems to turn to gold, right? Like their car washes itself, you know? Uh, but then you hear their like wrinkle-free relationship hit a bump or there's an issue with one of their kids and something to you is just like, oh, I'm relieved, finally. Isn't that ugly? Is that not like the ugliest part of the human spirit when you feel like more because they have less? You see why this is a spiritual issue? You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ if you are secretly hoping somebody fails because you can't love them. You can't genuinely love somebody who you want to see fail, or who you can't genuinely love someone who you're pushing to perform more and more and more so that you feel better about you. You can't chase the wind and follow Jesus at the same time. You can't even love your family well. That's my last question for parents. Mom and dad, be honest. Do you authentically enjoy your kids? Or are you driving them crazy because you see what everyone else's kids are accomplishing? Do you, do you enjoy your children or are you like pushing and pushing and pushing them because you're aware there's competition out there and there's another scholarship? Did you hear about so-and-so and she's going to such and such? 
can you, mom or dad, just take a deep breath and just enjoy your children for who they are? I mean, not to be too pointed, but I mean, did you know there are couples in this room who'd love to have your child, your son, or your daughter, but they can't? Maybe like, well, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't think about that. You should think about that because the issue isn't your children. The issue isn't their, their SAT scores or their special needs. The, the issue is not the school that they get into. The issue is that they are a child of a perfect father in heaven who has entrusted them to your open hand. And they are on loan to you for a very short season. So you can enjoy them or you're just going to drive them nuts because what someone might think about you as a parent. Do you see that, how serious this is? The comparison trap. It's all about bigger, better, faster, smarter. Guys, it's a treadmill. Can we get off the treadmill and stop chasing the wind? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? If by the end of this series, our church, we got to a place where we said, you know what, that's it. I am done living in the land of Ur. I am getting off the treadmill and I am now going to live in the land of <sighs> enough. Can you imagine that? If you're able to actually say like daily life, what I have is enough. My, my family's enough. My father's love is enough. Christ is enough. Enough is enough. And this is where I'm going to live with one hand open with tranquility rather than two fistful grasping for a third of the fourth. I'm leaving the land of enough and I'm going to, or leaving the land of Ur, and this is where I'm going to make my home, the land of enough. Amen? That's where we're going to go together next Sunday. So don't miss it. Don't be late. Let me pray for you. Father God, we just acknowledge our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. God, um, we know that until Christ is our total satisfaction, the sweetness to our soul, God, we will be constantly striving for more and more and driven by some very unhealthy things, the sin part of our nature. And so, Father, in this moment, we just surrender all those impulses. We confess some of those ugly desires to you, and we bring them to you for cleansing and for healing. Lord, I ask over the next couple of weeks, you just do a fresh work of freedom and liberation in our hearts as a church, that more and more we'd fall in love with Jesus and discover Christ is enough. We ask that all glory would go to him, our Savior. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.